0: I, at that point, found out that I am the carrier of a genetic mutation that caused the death of uh, the vast majority of my father's side of the family. Uh, And I actually was able to, you know, take that knowledge and and move forward with it. And, And I really credit Musar, which is Jewish mindfulness, with kind of giving me the energy, the wherewithal, the ability to take that information and, and do the right thing with it, which was to be empowered by it. Just to be
1: together, just to be open. Today, I'm very excited to share with you another episode of Hevray Connect. This is Zach Garber, and I have the honor and privilege of interviewing my good friend and Hevray, Daniel Barvin. Uh, Dan is a third year from Houston. He is a devoted father and professionally he is the director of operations at Koya Therapeutics, which is an early stage biotech company, which I'm sure we'll get into. So Daniel, thank you so much for taking your time. I think a great starting point would be just to learn a little bit about your background and who you are.
0: Of course. Thank you so much, Zach. Uh, Pleasure to be here. You know, I grew up as the youngest of three boys down here in Houston, Texas, uh, and luckily had probably the most devoted Jewish mother anyone could possibly ask for. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, Speaking of my story of how I found Cabinet, it really started from a young age of watching my mother uh, and her involvement in everything Jewish. We really had an incredible opportunity to attend Jewish day school. Maybe I did a little too much doing it K-12. through my, my brothers did a little less. But, you know, that gave me such an insight into the Jewish world, into the, the, the topics that we needed to be caring about as um, proud Jews. And And on top of that, I saw my mother's continued dedication to the local Jewish community through the federation, the JCC, anything and everything, you know, sending kids to Israel. Uh, and so I I really had the best upbringing I think one could have for a Jewish future. Uh, you know, one might ask how on earth did you end up marrying your wife? Who's not Jewish, but I really found, you know, the most perfect person for me, uh, in her. And, um, we are now raising a wonderful Jewish family. So <laughs> it all works out in the end, right?
1: Absolutely. And let's, and we'll, we'll get into, you know, marriage, maybe we'll talk a little bit about that marrying someone not Jewish, uh, as that's a, a conversation in the the community, the Jewish community, obviously that a lot of people are having. Could you just share kind of where you went to college and how you got from there to where you are today?
0: Sure. Um, so I went off to Cleveland, Ohio for a school called Case Western, um, enjoyed my four years there, graduated as a mechanical engineer. And as I graduated, I realized I wanted to get back to Houston. But the job opportunities offered to me were really in that kind of Ohio area, which I didn't want to stay in. Uh, so I kind of scrambled and I actually went to my Hillel. I had become good friends with the Shaliyah there. And he said, Daniel, why don't you go do uh, time in Israel? Uh, And he showed me that there was a Massah internship program. Uh, Maybe some have heard where you can go do an internship, hopefully in your degree, you know, focused on what you're interested in uh, and live in Tel Aviv for about five or six months. And I had been to, to Israel as a high schooler and had always wanted to go back as a young adult and enjoy what the the culture and people had to offer. And I decided to do that instead. so I, I went and spent about ten or eleven months in Israel working for a clean tech startup trying to conserve water in ancient cities. Then I um, really uh, thought about joining the the IDF and staying in Israel and um, started looking for jobs. and kind of out of the blue, my past girlfriend, from college reached out to me and said she'd be moving to Houston. This kind of, you know, brought up a lot of past memories and how great things were and how great she was. And kind of on a whim, I flew out to Aspen to meet her where she was doing uh, a music festival. And, you know, like my father used to love to say, people fall in love in Aspen. And we fell back in love and all those plans changed. And I said, I'll move back to Houston as well, where I'm from. And I'll come join you. so that that ended my Israel story. but I left with an, a massive appreciation for the country, the people, the the culture. Uh, and I think it's that experience has connected me to to Israel uh, for a lifetime. Um, but I came back, started working, uh, had a stint in designing forklifts, uh, and then realized oil and gas was king down here in Texas. And so I moved into designing. Uh, Oil and gas equipment. Worked my way up into oil and gas sales, which I thought I was much more suited for, and really enjoyed that experience for for as long as I could until the oil and gas markets died. Um, I then decided to get my MBA and jumped into wealth management. After about two and a half years, I said, "This this isn't going to work for me," and I took a step back. And you know, it was really uh, kind of jump into my career uh, as this is a good segue into what I do now. I at that point found out that I am the carrier of a genetic mutation that caused the death of uh, the vast majority of my father's side of the family. Um, right around that time, so that was a bit shocking. Um, it was a lot to 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 compress and understand with my family, and uh, and I actually was able to you know take that knowledge and, and, and move forward with it. And, and I know some people have heard that I promote Musar, and I really credit Musar, which is Jewish mindfulness, with kind of giving me the energy, the wherewithal, the ability to take that information and and do the right thing with it, which was to be empowered by it. And so for the next year and a half, I became an advocate in the space for familial ALS, uh, starting a nonprofit, uh, well, working inside of a larger nonprofit, Doing podcasts, galas, anything I could to get my story out there, uh, because most people know what ALS is, but no one knows what familial ALS is and what it what it's like to be uh, the descendant of a you know hereditary disease, and that really drove me for about a year. And then I said, "Wait a second, I need to continue to make money." <laughs> so I started work uh, looking for. Uh, opportunities to continue doing what I love, which is affecting change for this disease through a therapeutic company, uh, a biotech, and was incredibly lucky to be found by my now uh, boss, my CEO, uh, who invited me on the most incredible journey to commercialize the therapy of the leading ALS scientist uh, in America to bring his therapy to patients. And so I've been doing that for the past year and a half. And it's just been an absolute dream come true to work on something that I care about so much every day.
1: Well, I'm excited to jump in more detail into what you've been doing Jewishly, as well as what you're doing in ALS and in the biotechnology world. But on on this podcast, we specifically interview people from Cabinet. Uh, So I just want you to share a little bit about why you joined cabinet how you got introduced and and involved
0: of course uh the most important part of my life um you know so i luck i was very lucky to have uh, a touch point with cabinet through my old oldest brother eric barton uh he joined he's now a fifth year so two years before me and he said daniel i just found the most incredible thing you've got to join but i think at that time i was 28 so i was unable to join and um, but that really, you know, kicked me in, in the tail to say I should get involved with my local federation in preparation. You know, I really thought from what he had said very beginning that cabinet was leadership development for, you know, our lay leadership in the federation. I had done a few uh, chaired a few events for a young adults group and gotten more involved in that way and various other um, organizations the Federation supports. But uh, I said, I think Cabinet is someplace I want to be. So let me take the first step of, of stepping up uh, in Federation locally. So I did that for about two years and uh, joined the board eventually after doing the, the young leadership chair. And then finally was my time to think about Cabinet again. And luckily, right around that time, I was actually on a trip with my brother, to San Diego, uh, he was at a real estate conference and invited me along. It was uh, in the middle of my career search, <laughs> and uh, he's. We sat down with uh, a dear cabinet, maybe he's an alum now, uh, Dave Bramson, and my brother and he just, you know, had this phenomenal connection. You could see the energy between them, the camaraderie, the desire to to help each other out. <laughs> And, you know, it made me think, wow, what would it be like to have friends all over the country who were just like that? And and that, you know, I wanted to, to be a better lay leader. I wanted to be more effective at my local federation. But I think personally, I also wanted phenomenal connections to the Jewish world. And it was really that one instance that said, I've got to get into this. So that's how I joined and, you know, through three years, I've been able to attend two retreats. We we missed one because of COVID and it's been an absolute dream come true. Um, the people I've been able to connect with, to meet, to learn from the incredible, you know, educators that that cabinet brings in to teach us, you know, it's, it's been even more than I ever expected.
1: Can you share a specific example uh, from either Retreat or someone you've met of uh, some of the specifics that you've taken away from Cabinet or experiences that have really helped shape your experience so much so that not only do you want to be involved, but you're going and recommending this to other people?
0: Yeah. So, you know, I joined Cabinet and i still unsure of what that, what that meant and what it entailed. And it all kind of rolled up into the first Retreat. Uh, which obviously I was a bit anxious and and nervous about what's going to, what's it going to be like to meet all these new people. And I just put my best foot forward and introduced myself to everyone I could and got their story and just, you know, made the best possible time I I could out of the time I had with all those people. And I, and I left having met 50 or 60 or a hundred incredible people from, from around the country and and I think that experience, uh, the the energy I gained just from having connected with others in a, a more intimate way than you might um, otherwise, w- was so compelling for me. Uh, and and so that was I think the the highlight, and that's been repeated at the last retreat. But I also have tried to bring something into cabinet, and I know they're doing a phenomenal job with Chavruta. Um, which is you know Jewish Torah study, and you know I, I I'm really looking at ways that we can keep cabinet members connected throughout the the time periods where we don't have retreat or mission. And let me say to all of you who are on mission right now in Israel, uh, we miss you all, and I know you're having an absolute ball for all of us. But you know in, in those time periods when we're not together, the the programming that uh, cabinet does to to have us on social hours, to have us on educational times, you know, those have truly been connecting and and, and erasing that void. Um, so it's it's been a wonderful addition.
1: Can you give us a? I know this might be difficult, but is there a specific person or or tangible experience of someone that 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 you've met who you've connected with that has inspired you?
0: Sure, uh, you know, Mark Wolf, who was one of your previous. Uh, podcasts attendees was actually in my first year in my caucus group you know to be in caucus with mark mark wolf was just uh, an incredible experience you know not only did, did the man command a presence but, but you know to sit down to open up together to to share and, and and he can truly share uh i think that you know we each left the room knowing each other uh on a different level we, we each, you know, our, our reasons for being a cabinet, our reasons for, you know, stepping up every day as people who want to work hard to make change in this world uh, was truly apparent. And, you know, it, it has emblazoned who he is and, and the meaning of, of what I think is the, the ideal character of, of a cabinet member.
1: You mentioned at the beginning of the podcast uh, that you married someone who isn't Jewish. And I know this might be a a touchy subject, but I think it's important. We talk about Jewish continuity in in our community and you choose to be super involved in the Jewish community. You know, you said you mentioned your mom, your family. Can you just share a little bit more about your family's experience and why you continue to be so engaged Jewishly and maybe just a little bit about your experience with your wife and and, and how you're able to engage productively with the community and continue to be part of the, you know, thriving part of the Jewish leadership?
0: Beautiful question, Zach. You know, I think that the Jewish community is ever-evolving, and, and we really need to work incredibly hard to evolve with it. Um, the, the Jewish future, I think, is, you know, brown. It, it, it is going to change, and we can either change and, and grow with them, or we can lose people. Uh, I am trying my everything to keep our family connected, and I, I luckily have a wife who is completely embrace Judaism and all of our efforts into uh, the Federation and, and into the Jewish community here. You know, I, I think it'll all come to bear when my, my son, who's now two, kind of grows up in this Jewish world, not looking Jewish, and, and how will he contemplate his Jewish identity? So to give more insight, my I am on the board of the Federation, on the board of the JCC, uh, you know, we live a very involved Jewish life. And I think that living in Houston, Texas, which is a, a, a smaller sized community, you really feel the need to to step up and give back because, it, you know, if not for me, will it continue on? Right. And, you know, I think that that's been uh, an incredibly fulfilling experience for me. You know, um, you give a little and you get back so much. And. You know, I just hope that my family continues to to do that for generations. And but because of the involvement that uh, my family has had, that I have, that my wife has, I'm not so worried about you know my son's Jewish identity. I think that's pretty pretty solid. Um, What I am worried about is his Japanese identity, which uh, we don't have a great connection to here in Houston. Um and, and so we'll really have to to push incredibly hard for hopefully him to be bilingual, to to feel like he has a connection not only to Israel but to Japan. Um, so that's really my my struggle, and then he can be the one to you know uh, contemplate his identity once he uh, has both.
1: You know, one question that people struggle with these days and and forever we've struggled. This is what does it mean to be Jewish, right? We're a religion where, where people we're a culture. I'm curious, what is it that you view it means to be Jewish?
0: You know, I, I think being Jewish is, and I struggled for many years, even growing up so Jewishly to find deep meaning and maybe I didn't have the right teacher, but to find deep meaning in the, um, in the Torah or, you know, in texts of Judaism, which I now have found, but it took me too long. Uh, and and so I think when I was younger, I really thought that Jewish meant belonging to a people, belonging to a cause and, and doing everything you could to, to further the the Jewish community, the peoplehood, the brilliance uh, of what we have. And, and so, you know, I, I think it's not necessarily that someone has to be, You know, no, you don't, you definitely don't have to be involved to be Jewish, but I think it's part of the course to do so.
1: Early in the podcast, in addition to being involved in the Jewish community, you devote now your professional time to working at a therapeutics company dealing with uh, neurodegenerative diseases such as ALS. And you mentioned that you were a carrier and that, you know, that it's not necessarily always talked about from the perspective of who is a carrier other than the people that are affected by the actual illness. Can you share a little bit more about the awareness, the work you're doing in neurodegenerative diseases, and specifically for you, the experience that that you've had and what you're trying to share with others to create more awareness?
0: Of course. Um, you know, so so personally, you know, not many people know about the hereditary portion of ALS. It's probably 20% of all ALS cases. But the problem is that immense. Amounts of fear and stigma of people having seen this disease over and over in their families, um, families not wanting that information to get out. Uh, It has really hidden people from finding out their genetic status, from taking action, from doing something, and that perpetuates the disease. And so, you know, my goal is to make what is currently abnormal and 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 covered by stigma normal. And, and I think by sharing my story by, you know, saying, hey, guys, I'm normal and I have this. Um, and here's the things that I deal with. It it makes that experience more normal for others. And also, I I stumbled a bit in my journey of understanding my genetic status. And so I try to ensure that people on that same journey don't fall in the same pitfalls that I did. So that's a lot of what I do on the on the personal advocacy side. And if you if you're interested in learning more about my story, Google me, and there's a plethora of of content out there. Um, but what we're doing and what I'm so excited about at Koya is really changing the paradigm of care for neurodegenerative diseases. Now that is ALS, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, MS. You know, sadly. Uh, In the Jewish community, these are diseases which we are disproportionately affected by, and I'm sure that almost everyone has been touched by a disease that I've just listed. And what we're trying to do is understand the cause of that degeneration and and then affect change to it. Uh, We've licensed the therapy from one of the leading neurologists in the world, Dr. Stanley Appel, who discovered that neurodegenerative diseases, cause massive amounts of inflammation. And that inflammation damages regulatory T-cells, which control our inflammatory system and keep us all in homeostasis. And once that regulatory T-cell system is damaged, you have a positive feedback loop. You have inflammation, which is driven by the disease. That inflammation is not controlled and so it just increases and increases and increases. And what he found is that is the key driver of degeneration and death. And so instead of looking at, you know, the initial insult, let's say in Alzheimer's of, of plaque buildup in the brain, he looked at the down the down um, side effects and how he could uh, change those. And so we are the commercialization company who's come in to take his kind of academic work um, up through a clinical trial and and commercialize it.
1: We all hope that. Uh, what you're doing ends up being successful and it ends up getting commercialized because, you know, we've been living in a pandemic world. We are so fortunate for the vaccines that have been developed. And, you know, hopefully some of the new cutting edge technology can help solve some of the other uh, issues that, you know, not just our community, the world faces. When we've referred in this podcast that you're a father and that that you have a son. When you look forward 10, 20, 30 years from now, w- what do you want your legacy to be to your son? It's a beautiful question.
0: You know, I I, I want to be known as someone who, you know, cared greatly for the family, but also cre- cared great, greatly for the, the broader family we have, the, the Jewish community, the, the, the Jewish world. And, you know, and someone who stood up against things who were, uh, Difficult to face. It's not always easy to give money to causes. Uh, it's not always easy to advocate against hate. To advocate advocate against terror. Um, it's not easy to do a lot of the things we do at cabinet, or you know, I might do in my advocacy life. And I, and I, I just hope that I can show him that life will throw you a million different curveballs. Uh, and if you stand up to the plate and, and try to be- try your best to hit them all, life will probably work out. Um, and, and I think that that's, you know, I, I just hope that my, my son and my, we're expecting a, a daughter in July. I just hope that our children are committed to working hard. And if I can do anything to, to show them that that would be my, my true
1: dream. I think that's a great message. Ah, uh, one question we like to ask all cabinet members uh, as this sometimes goes out through a Shabbat message, are there any special rituals as it relates to your family or you that you know you really cherish around either the holiday Shabbat or something that you do Jewishly that you know is special to you and meaningful?
0: Yeah, you know we we had such wonderful family. Passovers, Hanukkah celebrations—you um, know anything and everything one could celebrate in a Jewish home. We did when I was growing up. One of the things that I that I love is a Passover seder and, and hosting a Passover seder. The year before the pandemic hit, we had probably fifteen people at our house, of which not many were Jews, and this was their very first seder. Uh, and I think they all left with not only an insight into what. Passover was, but into what Jewish ambitions were, what, you know, the Jewish people wanted for a better future for the world, for Tikkun Olam. And I I think that that ability to educate, to impart that knowledge on others, to share in the the Jewish festival of of Passover, and, and, you know, that's what I miss greatly. We haven't really had a, a Passover Seder since COVID. Um, we're actually going to be with my aunt in DC this year, uh, coming up in April. Um, so I'm looking forward to be back, you know, in, in, in loving embrace and in conversation with family and friends for, for Seder. That's well,
1: and Hopefully you stop by Baltimore and say hi. Um, <laughs> a selfish plug. Uh, as, we, as we wrap up the interview, are there any final thoughts or things that you'd like to leave with the people listening? Remember, this, this podcast is intended to be shared with cabinet people, with, with people involved in the, the Jewish Federation system in generally, uh, as well as with those that are considering getting involved or looking to become part of the community.
0: Of course. What I'll leave you with is I think that this takes such a considered effort to affect change for generations. And we really have to do such a good job at people keeping people connected to the Jewish community, uh, p- keeping people educated, and giving them the tools they need to go back to their local federations and, and, and do the work that's needed to ensure they're propped up and, and working the best they can. And so I think one that occurs at at cabinet, but cabinet doesn't start until thirty, and so to the to the Jewish Federation professionals, I want to ensure that they are, you know, working on that pipeline of of twenty somethings who are cabinet hopefuls one day, uh, and and I I hope that um, people come to cabinet with an idea of of what federation does for you, does for the community, does for Israel, does for Jews around the world. And, and having an insight into into how you might help move that uh, that work along. Because, you know, this, this machine, this system really depends on us, not only for funding, not only for donations, but for insight, for advocacy, for, you know, work. Um, and, and so I think, you know, looking back at my own journey, you know, this started when I was very young. And it's it's luckily because I've been able to be involved. It's never going to end because I see the the fruitfulness of my of my efforts. And I think that that is you know cabinet is a beautiful piece of that journey along the way. Um, And so I think wherever you are in your journey, get involved, start giving back, start understanding what is it that the federation does for me, and how can I help the federation move forward? I think that's the last piece I'll
1: leave you all with. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for your time. I hope everyone enjoyed learning about his story. Uh, we, we got personal on this podcast. I know we touched on a couple of subjects uh, that are debated in the Jewish world. And as as we tackle things in Judaism, it's with questions and thought thoughtfulness around them. And we're grateful to have lots of different people at the table and to expand and grow and to continue to have young leaders like Daniel, so thank you so much for your time, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Shalom, it's Lindsay Glam.
0: and Aaron Carabel, and
1: we are the 2021-2022 co-chairs of National Young Leadership Cabinet. We hope you enjoyed getting to know our Evra. Stay tuned for our
0: next installment of Clever Connect. Through the
1: zooms and the frozen time, leaders step. Never-